teachers are leaders. And we're here to emphasize the good in education, one practice, method, idea, or trend at a time. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Teachers Are Leaders podcast, brought to you by the Warren Instructional Network, and I'm your host, Andrea Coachman. Okay, we are back for another episode, and today uh, I'm extra excited to be here with a, a friend and a colleague, Amelia Ahmed. Amelia, thank you for being here today. I am so excited to be here with you, Andrea. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. So, Amelia, and I'm... I, I feel extra excited because today we're going to kind of chat about um, an area that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. So I think that um, is going to be a lot of fun. So, but before we do that, a little bit about your background, Amelia. So you have been in public education for 29 years. And in that you have done so many different things, like, you know, obviously a teacher, being a classroom teacher, but then serving as a campus coach, as a campus administrator, but then also at the district level of the director of academic services and multilingual education. Uh, most recently, you were a part of the reading academies as a cohort leader, but then getting outside of K-12, you have been an adjunct reading professor at UTD and supervised student teachers, which I feel like that's like full circle, right? Like you're supervising those students, you know, those college students who are then going to go into the classroom. That is a lot of different perspectives and hats that you have worn. <laughs> and I loved each and every hat. And I feel like I've gained a lot of experience and knowledge from having multiple perspectives mm -hmm. um, of public education. So I love that. I love that. So in all of those different roles um, that you have held, but then also like thinking, thinking back to you as a student, what is something that sticks out as a, a favorite memory, something that just has kind of stood the test of time and stayed with you over the years? I think a favorite memory as a student um, who knew two languages in school was when I was in third grade. I am from South Texas. So in third grade, I had a teacher, Mrs. Alanis, and we didn't have bilingual education when I went through school, but I, I knew how to read in Spanish when I went to school. So in third grade, we would raise our hand to read the spelling list for the week. And I raised my hand and um, I read the word her as Air, like without the H sound. Right. And I vividly remember Mrs. Alanis saying, oh, you read that in Spanish. Now read it in English. And it just woke something up in my, in my brain going like, wait a minute, I read that in Spanish and I can read it in English. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like a big, like aha moment as a seven or eight year old child in third grade. And I went home and I'm, I'm telling my mom, you know, I can read this in Spanish, but I can read it in English. So sometimes I would be reading something like a book in English, but make it sound like in Spanish. Like this is the way it would sound in Spanish, but actually it's in English. So this is the way it sounds in English. And I would do the same thing for, you know, Spanish books that I may have or the newspaper at home. I would say, see, I can read it in Spanish. Now, this is the way it would sound in English. And it wouldn't make any sense, right? I was just making it up because it was written in Spanish or in English. But 
I vividly remember that because I'm thinking if you're cognitively aware, like I was, of having two languages at seven or eight, now our students are aware of that, even in kindergarten, that they speak two languages or there are two languages that, that they hold in their head. Right. Um, so it's very exciting Ugh. to see that. Yes, that is so exciting. And I think, you know, and you and I have talked a lot over the years that we've worked together about, you know, biliteracy and translanguaging and how important it is for our students who are getting to experience education in two languages, which I mean, it's not easy. I know you said, you know, you didn't have bilingual education as a student, but now that is available for students. And there are, you know, a lot of students who that's just where they go to school, but then there are those who choose to go to a dual language school. Mm -hmm. I feel like I would, I did not have that option as a, as a child, but I wish, I mean, I feel like every day I hear people who can go back and forth between two languages. I'm like, ah, That is such a powerful asset. (laughs) It is. It's amazing that, you know, you can acquire a language or learn a language. So I am what we call a sequential bilingual, which means I acquire the language because my family spoke Spanish. So that's the way I came about to speaking Spanish. And I spoke only Spanish when I went to school. Um, So I learned to read in Spanish at home because I did not have that bilingual education piece at the campus I attended. So it brings me like from full circle to be talking about my younger years as a student, but also as an educator and as a person who supports teachers and dual language programs to understand how valuable it is for a child to be able to learn two languages, but also learn to read and write in two languages. Mm-hmm. Um, it is powerful, not just because it opens the doors to many opportunities in the future, but also because um, it develops more gray matter. So even in relation to health and other aspects of being a bilingual, that it supports our students in many ways. Right. Gosh. But I feel like a little bit, it kind of stretches my brain because that's not, you know, where, where I came from. But so, you know, thinking about the roles that you've served and working, especially with dual language, you know, districts and campuses, what does, what does that look like to create a biliterate student? Like what, what is the process? What is the method? What is, you know, because I feel like there are a lot of people who don't experience it like you have on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) Well, thank you. Well, really it's, you know, dual language or bilingual education is required in our state of Texas. So we offer bilingual education. Um, Bilingual education has come a long way from when I started teaching bilingual education in 1994, which was more, um, we kept the students in Spanish, um, okay. and then we added English later on in, in the elementary years to now where we have amazing dual language programs that are supported from 
um, our education agency and, you know, they give us rubrics, they, they support the implementation, even in our legislature, it's dual language programs are supported. Mm-hmm. Um, we know by research that those, pro- that this dual language programs um, are way better than, than the old models that we have. So everybody's shifting to dual language programs. So within the dual language programs, we uh, provide support for our teachers so that they understand number one, who are the students in our schools? So I told you in my intro that I'm a sequential bilingual student. Mm -hmm. That means I learned Spanish at home and only spoke Spanish until I went to school. So about four or five years of age. Well, nowadays we have simultaneous bilingual learners who are the students who are learning, listening and speaking both languages since birth and continue to do so when they go to school. So right now in our schools, we have a mix of students who are sequential and students who are simultaneous learners. Um, In South Texas, where I'm from, a lot of us are just simultaneous because of the culture and because of where we are uh, close to the border. So we speak both simultaneously. So it's not shocking to go to any store and right. you know and and the people working at the store turn around and speak to someone in Spanish and then turn around and speak to you in English right. so that is just the normal way of doing business mm-hmm. um so that's an asset when you are bilingual absolutely yeah so it, you know regardless of if you're a sequential learner or a simultaneous language learner mm-hmm. what is that what does that look like in a classroom? I mean, how for those teachers who, you know, may have students who come in knowing mostly Spanish or only Spanish, or you have those students who come in with more English and Spanish, and I'm sure there's a mix of, I'm going down a rabbit hole now, I feel like, even a mix of students who can already read in English mm-hmm. and Spanish, but then those who can't, how does that teacher teach? Yeah. <laughs> Well, just like we differentiate in in regular classrooms, you're going to have a plethora of different experiences Mm -hmm. that our students bring to the classrooms. So one thing to understand is how is the dual language program set up for my district? So Mm -hmm. is it a 50-50 model way from the start? So starting in kindergarten all the way to fifth grade, 50% of the time in Spanish, 50 in English, or if you have more of an 80-20 model where you're adding English until you get to 50-50 in third grade, and then you continue. Because if we're going to work for biliteracy, our students need to be um, listening and learning in both languages. Um, Daily, I know some districts have... um, procedures and and program structures that look like they change by program language by day or they may change by week. Um, So there are different program structures that you set up as a district um, Mm -hmm. or in districts and whatever works and you're supporting works in the classroom, the teacher needs to be really aware of what that model looks like right. and you know what's gonna be our Spanish 
language arts block look like? What's right. going to be our English language development block look like? And one thing that does concern me is when, if we're teaching for literacy, is when it's an integrated English language development model. Because if you integrate and teach science in English or mathematics in English, because of the lack of time during the day, then when are you teaching those skills that do not bridge over, they don't transfer because they don't exist in Spanish and it's a literacy skill. So the best model will have a literacy-based English language development time where you do build the oral language, but you also explicitly teach those skills that do not exist in Spanish that you will never be able to bridge to English during your Spanish language arts block. Um, that is one thing that I think it's it's brings a concern in me because, right. I, you know, if we are working towards biliteracy now, your program may not be working towards biliteracy, then you're going to transfer skills from Spanish to English, right? Mm -hmm. You're gonna bridge them, what we call bridging or bridge over. Um, and if you're consistent, the student's gonna get those. I think the, the ones that, um, for example, in English, our students need to know the six syllable types in English. Okay. We don't work with syllable types in Spanish, even though they exist because our language is transparent, it's syllabic, and we don't usually teach those okay. using that language. But in English, when you think about the six syllable types, it's when we're teaching the long vowels, the short vowels, the mm -hmm. spelling patterns, the different rules of when you add ing, when you drop the, you know, the y and add an i. And if yeah. you look at the six syllable patterns in English and just make sure that you um you plan for those in your literacy-based English language development, mm -hmm. our bilingual students are going to be able to spell, they're going to be able to read, they're going to be able like to parse out the words because mm -hmm. in Spanish we use accents right. um, for meaning, but in English it helps us Knowing those six syllable types helps us pronounce the words mm -hmm. and also pronounce the words because some words have different meaning. So that is like a really powerful tool to include in ELD. So, so my point in having um, integrated ELD, if you're doing it through mathematics, when are you gonna teach the six syllable types or integrated right. ELD if you're doing it through science, the teachers teaching science, when do they teach those things that don't exist? Right. So that's my point about differentiating between integrating integrated English language development versus a literacy-based English language development mm. in order to create um, students who know how to read and write both in English and Spanish. Right. Gosh. So, which is that, but that makes a lot of sense. You know, you when you're teaching math, you're teaching math content and science content. Mm -hmm. And as much as literacy skills are used, you know, when you're reading math problems and you're reading science information, there are specific skills that need to be explicitly taught. 
So that, that yes. makes sense. That's what you would want to do during that. And in math, if we're if we're bridging back to Spanish, so for example, mm -hmm. if we're teaching math and English and that's our integrated English language development, what we're bridging back to Spanish are cognates. Those are right. academic vocabulary. So not specific to the skills that the students are missing out um, because they don't exist in Spanish. Okay. Hmm. I do know. I, I like cognates because I feel like I'm like, oh yes, I know that word. <laughs> and that's a basic foundational piece. Like if we know cognates, um, mm -hmm. that that's the morphology that's under, uh, you know, the morphology when we bridge. So that's one of the things that's very simple to do. Mm -hmm. And it's very simple to transfer or bridge that academic academic language, whether it's from English to Spanish or Spanish to English. Yeah. Wow. So, and I know you mentioned, you know, where we talked about in the beginning, like you were able to lead the, um, you were a leader for the Reading Academy cohort. Mm -hmm. So was that, how did that, how does, did that, does that? Cause I know all teachers go through the Reading Academies, but how has that helped teachers with this? Because obviously, you know, like as a district, the district determines how they set up their dual language program and, you know, what the model is. So how does that information help teachers? I think with the revision, so I was part of the first cohort of the um, Biliteracy Academy. And in the first cohort, we still had a lot of you know, this is English, this is Spanish, but not an integration. And with okay. the revisions that have been done um, with the Biliteracy Academy, now there's more of integration. We're talking about translanguaging, for example. Okay. Um, so we're not keeping the languages separate, like here is your reading in English brain, here's your reading in Spanish brain, but rather they're being integrated. So when you think about the way the Biliteracy Reading Academy is set up, where oral language, you can see the development of reading because they have oral language, um, then they have phonological awareness, which is different in Spanish and English as far as the skills. Um, and when it stops, so for example, in Spanish and in our standards, phonological awareness goes up to first grade, but in English, it goes up to second grade because of right. that onset and rhyme being more difficult. Okay. Um, and then we talk about fluency and fluency again in Spanish. We need to know how to, um, where the accents go and where the stress is in the syllable versus mm -hmm. the six syllable types in English. So our students need to be aware of those things and then by the time you get to module eight, which is more of the phonics module in Reading Academy, they do a good job at integrating both. This is the way Spanish looks like, and this is the way English looks like. Mm. So in a biliteracy brain, or when we talk about translanguaging, you know, all our, all our, our linguistic skills, our language repertoire is together in my brain. We don't separate right. by this is English, this is Spanish. Right. Uh, my example is a sequential bilingual child growing up. I did have that separated in my brain until my teacher said, oh, you just read in Spanish, read it in English. Yeah. Um, that was a big aha. And now I can think and I can read and I can help myself when reading in English if I knew the word in Spanish mm -hmm. or if I could read it and it sounded like a word in Spanish. Um, 
So those are all skills that teachers need to be aware of as they instruct or develop their lessons in their language arts block. Yeah. Oh, it seems like um that was a lot of information I gave you. <laughs> kind of like <laughs> kind of like here's a way then the bond literacy uh academy works. So yeah, no, I love that. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think, you know, thinking through you know, he, here is this and here is that. Here's the English, here's the Spanish. Here's the things you need to know here. Here's the things you need to know there, you know, from one to the other. But then that idea of translanguaging, which, and tell me more about that because I'm, assu I'm assuming if I'm translanguaging, like then I'm gonna, I'm able to then do more of that, like what we're talking about, that simultaneous versus sequential. Yeah. Like it starts, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, well, in translanguaging, it's for all bilingual and multilingual. So not only for students sitting sitting in a dual language or bilingual classroom, mm -hmm. but also students sitting in gen ed classrooms who who know another language. Okay. So when a when a teacher has this translanguage in pedagogy, which is from Ofelia Garcia's work, um, it means that we're gonna use all of the linguistic resources a student brings to class, whether it's a kindergarten in a dual language classroom or a 10th grader in a, in a gen ed classroom in high school, mm -hmm. it means that the teacher is aware that this student knows and understands another language. Okay. And she's going to support the student learning her content in her class by letting this student utilize all of the language skills they bring. To the learning. So in elementary school, whether you're in a bilingual or gen ed classroom, then that means that a teacher lets you process using both languages at the same time. Mm -hmm. So if you just learned um, or the teacher just read um, a story aloud and you're talking about character traits that you turn to your partner and if you paired up with a partner who speaks that other language whether it's Spanish or Urdu or Hindi mm -hmm. that it's okay if you forgot the word in Spanish or in English um, and you can use that Hindi word or that that other Spanish word it's okay if that other person understands because a lot of times our kids are frustrated that they know the word in one language for right. example in bilingual classroom I may just happen to know that word in, in English, but our story was in Spanish and I'm supposed to be speaking in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Well, a teacher with a translanguage in pedagogy says, use all your language to talk about character traits. Yeah. Use all your language. Um, in a dual language classroom, then you have additional strategies like um, pairing students with bilingual partners so that at different proficiency levels, both in Spanish and English, mm -hmm. um, so that they can use all of their language to um, learn whatever the teacher's teaching at that moment. Um, the teacher, if she's in a genet classroom and she knows this child speaks um, Polish, for example, yeah. if there's a video or a book or some resource your ESL teacher has that provides or builds background for this child before you do your lesson in English. Mm -hmm. um, 
that would be having a translanguaging pedagogy. So that's from a teacher's perspective, just making sure that the child uses all of their language resources to make meaning, <laughs> to learn. So all of this, as you're talking, so um, back when I was in the classroom, I taught our um, English one and English two newcomers. So I was okay. at the high school. So I had ninth and 10th graders who were newcomers. And I was doing this and I didn't know that's what it was called. Yes. <laughs> I was like, you were doing it. Yeah. I was like, what do you know? Mm -hmm. And obviously it was easy. They were very um the majority of my students were Spanish speakers. So it was easy to pair them up. And I feel like I had just enough Spanish knowledge to like pipe in and help, but I didn't know that it was like had a name, like translanguaging pedagogy. Yes. So you you know, you're aware that, yes, you know that our students need to get to English and need to provide, you know, whatever it is that you were asking them for in written language. Right. They can write it in Spanish and then they can turn it in in English with you after, but you're not penalizing right. them for using their language to right. learn in your classroom. Yeah. So see, you had translanguaging pedagogy, oh, Andrea, in oh. high school. Um, so, so in elementary is allowing students to use all their language. Even yeah. when we're writing something in English, the students can write it in Spanish first and then think about how would I say that in English? Right. Um, same thing for if you create it, if you're doing a bridging um, activity after you've taught science, for example, in English, and you created a summary of um, the water cycle or something okay. you did as a class that you pair them up and say, how would we say this if we said it in Spanish and we learn it in Spanish, how would we say it in English? And allowing students to think through, you know, it's a translation for, for meaning is different than a word-by-word -word translation. Right. And right. really helping the students understand that we're not doing word-by-word -word translation, we're translating the meaning and it looks different in the other language. Right. Um, so noticing those things as students um, and letting me use all my language, like my third grade teacher, make like, oh, you read that in Spanish. Oh, yeah. wow, you can read in Spanish. <laughs> I didn't know that about you. So really pointing out, because my teacher, even though I wasn't in a bilingual class, my teacher herself was bilingual. So she mm -hmm. could make those connections for me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. I can do it in both languages now. Yes. That's the same way that the children feel. And yeah. I've been in classes when I coach in classrooms or go to different schools that I, um, I was in one school and the first grade teacher was amazing. And I could walk in there and the students, when they were bridging, they could tell me exactly um, what they were doing and they could tell me why it was a different different in English than it was in Spanish yeah. and that just um, I just love that 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 just gives me energy to continue <laughs> teaching yes. because I love when um, the light turns on and and for me it was a big aha like wow I learned that as a third grader but I'm so proud that these students are learning it as kindergartners oh my as gosh graders they yes. were already bridging for them and they understand 
wow, I speak two languages and yes. you know, I'm smart and I can do it in English and Spanish. So that's brilliant. Well, and I think what you said there, and it sounds like, you know, your third grade teacher did for you was showcasing what you did as an asset and as a positive, like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you can read in Spanish, but now say it in English and now you can do both. And it, and from what it sounds like, you know, that really is the goal is like, we're, you know, working to give students this, like, you know, in a dual language program, like you are biliterate, you know, English, you know, Spanish, <clears throat> but, you know, emphasizing the positive behind that. And that, you know, like you said, you, you are smart. Look what you can do. You can read and write in English and you can read and write in Spanish. Like how powerful is that? And we do say, um, bilingualism or it is a superpower because yes. not everybody can speak two languages and one activity I do when I um when I train teachers when I provide any professional learning mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily for bilingual teachers but say for a school I say if you can speak a different language come to this side if you can speak only one language come to this side now what can all this speak so that they can understand and really look at our students in dual language programs or who come to school already speaking another language right? so that they can really think about everything that child had to go through to acquire that language and really think of that child as gifted because there are people who speak seven or eight languages who are yes. just gifted in acquiring and learning new languages. And we should view every child in a dual language classroom who already is a simultaneous or even starting to be an emergent bilingual um, child who is a sequential and learning another language as brilliant, as gifted, because not everybody can do that. No, I'm, not very, I'm very jealous of dual language or multi-language speakers. I wish that is, I do, um, Duolingo <laughs> and I just, I'm like, I gotta keep practicing <laughs> even as a, even as an adult. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a gift. Um, and you know, I can go to another country and just speak Spanish, right. of course, all South and Latin America, but when you go to Europe, you can also speak Spanish and get around. Yes. You're in Rome or you're in Paris or of course in Spain, but you'll be surprised at how many other countries also have Spanish as a second language. Right. Right. Um, it is. It's pretty amazing. Well, and I was thinking, you know, in my, in my mind, you know, I like to create um, concrete examples to match with the things, the ideas. Um, but so it really is like, I wrote down, you know, the bridging activity, but I mean, in, in my mind, it is like literally, you know, you have your, in, your understanding of the English language, you have your understanding of the Spanish language or whatever your second language is, but then that bridge that literally works to connect the two to where, like in my mind, the idea is that you get to a point where it is simultaneous and that you do, it's not two separate entities in your brain. Like you mentioned, it's not you know, a Spanish language brain and an English language brain, it's that it works together. And those bridging activities or bridging between the two languages is what kind of creates that glue, maybe that, you know, holds it all together. And I'll give you another example um, from when I was a teacher. 
So in when I started teaching in 1994, it was this idea of students will get it if you just give them time. Well, we don't have time. We need to be explicitly teaching the students from Spanish bridging over to English or from English bridging over to Spanish. So I taught sixth grade in an elementary school. It was bilingual sixth grade. And my students used to like, we were doing a lot more English and only use Spanish to support because it was sixth grade. They were about to hit middle school Mm -hmm. and this grade just happened to be an elementary. So one time as a teacher, I was going like, I'm not doing something right. My students are bombing this spelling test. And it didn't matter if it was a language arts, if it was, you know, some academic language Mm -hmm. in science, but all my classes were um, instructed in English with Spanish support. So one day I just told the, the boys and girls in my class and I said, listen, you already know how to read in Spanish, you know how to write in Spanish. So when you're studying for this test, I want you to think of the words in Spanish. I want you to read them in Spanish, but I want you to think about how I pronounce them in English. So when I pronounce the word water in English or water cycle, mm-hmm. when you study, you said water cycle, right? To remember water right. cycle. Uh-huh. So think about how that's spelled in Spanish or mm-hmm. how that's said in Spanish. So I went from my students having 10 or 30s in their spelling test to having 80s, 100s. Just that one little trick. Nobody had told my students that use your Spanish to help you learn English. Right, right. So as a teacher, even though I had that experience as a third grade, as a sixth grade bilingual teacher, I was like, wow, what's going on? How come my students don't know all this? And it was that old mentality of just give them time. They'll get English. And I want everybody listening um, to know is that, we have to be explicit and we have to bridge grade level standards. So if I'm a first grade teacher now and I'm teaching them to read in Spanish, I need to bridge those Spanish skills. If, if they happen, you know, those sounds, if they're the same in English, I need to tell the students, you know, this letter M makes the same sound in English. Let's mm-hmm. look at some English words that have that initial sound or this word is the same in English, or guess what, boys and girls, this does not exist in English. It's only in Spanish that we put the punctuation this way. And we have to keep that up as they go up in levels, because sometimes as director of multilingual, I would get calls in middle school saying, the student doesn't know how to read, or the student, we need to test them for X, Y, and Z. Well, No, the student did not have foundational skills in English, and they had been in our bilingual program from K-5, but it wasn't the time when we were explicitly bridging, so they had missed a lot of the spelling skills in English because we weren't focused on those six-syllable types Mm -hmm. um, before they went to middle school. Yeah. So it looks like our students cannot spell in English or cannot write in English, but it's because we weren't explicit enough with those skills that didn't transfer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them is those spelling patterns that they miss out on because they don't exist in Spanish. Our Spanish is so transparent that there's some tricky 
letters and tricky syllabus, but for the most part, it's, you know, you can read it in Spanish. Right. English doesn't work that way. No, we, yeah. English is such a crazy language. It's so well, different. there's like, depending who you speak with, it's 15 to 21 ways of mm -hmm. spelling the vowel sounds in mm -hmm. English in words. When are our students going to learn those pieces? Yeah. If we're not bridging and if we're not having um, a systematic literacy ELD to mm -hmm. teach them, um, during which time we teach them. So. Yes. No. Well, and I love that because that's always my, um, I don't know, maybe a goal. My goal of these episodes is to share something, um, mm -hmm. you know, have, have a little conversation, but then dig into like, okay, but so what, you know, why this, what does it mean? And I think, and I put, I wrote this word down and then underlined it and put a box around it, but that idea of the explicitness of being explicit. And I, and I do feel like I think it's just like when we model reading and model writing, like students don't, they don't see the same things that we do, which is why we read aloud and which is why we showcase, you know, the writing that we do. And I think, you know, from what you're saying, it's the same thing. Like we have to yeah. show them the bridge. You have to be very explicit with those, but you also have to be systematic. So right. if you're a teacher listening or you're a coordinator or director listening, you have to have a plan, like what's the plan for kindergarten to be systematic on those English skills that don't transfer? Mm -hmm. What's the plan for first grade and second grade? And if you vertically align those skills, um, we have a great resource that's a side-by-side Teak standards resource that everybody it's in the in the reading academy resources but everybody before then everybody knew about it so it's this resource that has our spanish standards our teaks and our english side by side in foundational skills right and you can see which skills do not transfer or don't exist so those skills that don't exist are the ones that you need to pay attention to as a teacher or as a coordinator or as a director, um, did I systematically put these skills in my curriculum to make sure the teachers explicitly teach them? Because all the other ones will be taught with the bridge. Right. Um, or do I not have them? How can we think about where is a good place in our curriculum to teach these skills? Ah, I love that. So explicit and systematic plan. Yes. I love that. Oh, thank you. I can speak, gonna... Well, I can speak to you all day. I know. Well, so... and I could listen and dig in and ask questions. So I'm like, Ooh, I love this. And I also took like three pages of notes. So I feel like it, you just, you know, you're just spreading, spreading the knowledge and the love. And I yes. appreciate it. <laughs> And I, I love that because when I can hear a child reading to me in Spanish and in English or writing in Spanish and in English, I feel like, wow, this child had the greatest experience at this school or at this district. And right. I just want to replicate that or take that knowledge and spread it and say, hey, listen, talk to this friend in this district. They're doing yes. a great job with this. And, you know that's the way I get my fix as an educator. Absolutely. Yes. Well, and, but I think that is the ultimate goal. You know, we talk about 
whether it's reading academies or, you know, cohort meetings or, you know, whatever it is, like coming together and trying to find or create or establish, you know, whatever the best plan is to, you know, when we feel and create that success to continue it. I mean, that we get into education because we want to help and we want, you know, we want to see kids be successful and learn and grow. So no, I love it. Thank you. I appreciate your, your time and your information. You blew, blew my mind a little bit like always, but, um, in a good way. (laughs) Oh, good. And anytime, anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I am sure we will, um, we'll have to coordinate another one of these because, you know, like you said, we could sit here and talk forever. (laughs) Forever. So Yes, I'm just very excited for our teachers and and our educators out there doing the work and just keep on learning and keep on supporting students in their biliteracy journey. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you, Amelia. Thank you. Great to be here, Andrea. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Teachers Are Leaders. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. We are, you know, wherever you find your podcast. And if you're looking for us outside of the podcast world, we are on Twitter at WarrenINPD. And our website is WarrenINPD.com. Hope to see you soon. Thanks.